This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to Season 5, Episode 8 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Please support this podcast at patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre. It's a great time to join there because I have ramped up my exclusive features at the end of this 2022. You can also support the audio version at anchor.fm slash musicisnotagenre. My public hub is youtube.com slash nickdimatteo, but there's a new name because they're allowing tags now, and that new name is youtube.com slash at musicisnotagenre. Use either one. And my website is nickdomatio.com. And of course, please, as always, listen to and support my band Rex Music at recarea.bandcamp.com. Let's get to it this week. I'm excited. Yet again, it's still a relatively new season. And that means that there are a lot of things that I haven't done for a while. And that includes uh, an edition of my Music is Everything subseries. And that's what this week's is wherein I write an essay about a music topic, idea, or opinion, or any of that, and weave it into something social, political, etc., etc., showing that music connects with the world in more ways than one. And this is the 28th edition of Music is Everything, and I'm going to get right into it, get ready for a recitation. Uh, the topic is soft rock, a.k.a. kid contemporary Let's not do the 1970s again. We all need quiet. It's restorative. A break from the constant noise we can barely get away from. But when does quiet become too quiet? Tracking my music listening is like watching a pinball. Up, down, left, right. I can't stay in one vibe too long. Give me a couple of hours of any kind of music and I'm ready to switch it up. Better yet, give me a mix that has a little bit of everything and I'm happy forever. You can count on music to provide you with as much variety as you can handle. Even within one genre, dynamics, attitude, and expressiveness go almost anywhere. Think of heavy metal, then think of the power ballad. Think of jazz fusion, 
then think of smooth jazz. Think of rock, then think of soft rock. Keep that one in mind for a sec, because we're coming back to it. First, let's talk about pop music. Scan the charts for any given week or month in the last, I don't know, 80 years. You're almost guaranteed the top 10 songs will represent a healthy variety of music. Every now and then, one kind of music dominates in a way that screams trend. Jazz vocalists and big band in the 40s, doo-wop and rock and roll in the 50s, Britpop and folk rock in the 60s, and Motown, disco and soft rock in the 70s, new wave and hair metal in the 80s, grunge and hip-hop in the 90s, alt-rock and R&B in the O's, EDM and hip-hop in the 2010s, and hip-hop pretty much uh, from the 90s on, really. And where trends go, you'll find record companies, producers, and even some artists cashing in and creating paler and paler imitations until the trend is smothered. Over the last decade or so, one trend in particular has grown to where it's now clearly the dominant force. And this time, it's not one genre. It's everywhere. Softness. Pick a genre. Pop, R&B, hip-hop, whatever Taylor Swift is these days. In every case, the most popular songs right now are mellow, characterized by soft, mid-range sounds, usually lots of soothing or at least inoffensive synths, and vocals that go out of their way to under-emote. Take a look at the current Billboard chart. As of today's podcast recording, which I'm recording this on November 1st, you have to go all the way down to number 22 to find a song that isn't mellow. The vast majority of the top 50 songs today are simply soft. Considering what the world has been going through in the last several years, it's no surprise the general population needs everything it can get to unplug and chill out. It's not objectively a bad thing. Soft music has been around forever. But we need to make a distinction between deliberately and meaningfully soft music and music that's soft, or let's call it understated, because it's the trend or it's afraid to sing out. We'll start with the first type, ambient music. Largely instrumental, ambient music's goal is to create an unobtrusive but compelling sonic landscape, a world of sound and feeling. It had its prototype in Eric Satie's furniture music in the 1910s and 20s. It was revived a few decades later with John Cage's experiments in the 50s and 60s and Steve Reich's minimalism in the 60s and beyond. Brian Eno in the 1970s was the first ambient composer to affect pop culture. New Age music and smooth jazz, both of which had roots in the 1960s, absolutely boomed, or whatever a quiet version of boom is, in the 1980s. An ambient house, techno, down-tempo, such as Massive Attack, Portishead, and Tricky, among others, and post-rock, such as The Sea and Cake, which I'm pointing to for those of you who are just listening. I have a CD of theirs, but also Radiohead uh, and Sigaroche were everywhere in the 1990s and 2000s. Mushroom Jazz has sort of a, a parallel development, which morphed in the 2000s into Chill Wave, and in the 2010s into Lo-Fi, and I'll be returning to that term later on. These are styles in which creators deliberately chose to be almost aggressively mellow. Now let's try to define the second type, easy listening, alternatively termed soft rock or adult contemporary. Soft rock had its proto versions in the 1960s. It was often called chamber pop, among other things. Think of pet sounds, 
Eleanor Rigby, Sunny Afternoon by the Kinks, etc. Laid back songs with more intricate orchestration, but never rising above a mild warmth. That grew in parallel with the singer-songwriter boom and morphed in the 1970s into soft rock, some of which was the infamous yacht rock. Seals and Croft, Captain and Tennille, Hall and Oates, so many. That softer sound was also one of the dominant music forces in the 1980s, or what I'm calling the powerless ballad. Air Supply, Lionel Richie, Richard Marks, Phil Collins, and those are just a few. In the 1990s, we get both a revival of chamber pop and a surge of dream pop, sonically dense and psychedelic, mellower cousin of shoegaze. Through all of these eras and on to the 21st century, there's been a massive amount of diverse and high-quality R&B and or R&B-influenced pop and hip-hop, more like a quiet hurricane than a quiet storm. So take all of that, the ambient music and the easy listening, the chamber pop, the chill wave, the quiet storm, mix everything together, pull out any sound or emotion that rises above a bubble, and what do you get? You get today's pop landscape. You get a trend of artists from almost any genre creating music that seems to be underwater, behind a wall, in a tiny box. It's as though these artists and producers are afraid to be too out, too expressive, too bold, and believe that retreating into fetishistic intimacy is somehow revolutionary. It's not. We're reliving the 1970s, and not in a good way. You can argue that the embrace of quietness is an antidote to chaos or a substitute and searching for intimacy that's harder to get in a virtual society, or a desire to be, or at least appear to be, more open and vulnerable. You can also argue that there are a whole bunch of songs and artists that are doing great work. All of that is true. I'll even cite Japanese Breakfast and Bia Badubi as two mellow side artists whose work I largely love. But like any trend, the trend hoppers don't know when to quit, don't know when to mix it up. I had hoped Rina Sawayama and even Bia Badubi or Olivia Rodrigo would take their forays into the sounds of grunge, post-punk, and emo to louder and bolder places. But whether it's the artists unable or unwilling to go there or choosing not to, or the producers putting a smooth and palatable sheen on everything, none of this music takes chances. None of it tries to surprise or challenge or even offend. Or if it tries, it's not doing it. It's a symptom of how we relate to each other today. So many of us are working hard to shout for change, act for change, move the bar and the conversation forward. We're trying to challenge, unafraid to offend, to bring the ugliness out so it can be seen for what it is, so it can be exercised and given and give us the space to find common ground again. But those efforts are being drowned out by people who are afraid that speaking too loudly, asking too much will turn people off or will preempt compromise. Their starting ground is the middle ground. Their end point is 45 years ago, complete with high gas prices, impending stagflation, a well-meaning but largely powerless president who followed up years of leadership chaos, social unrest, and political disillusionment. Not to mention the people shouting even louder than, than those of us here are trying to shout and saying nothing at all or saying things that are just completely false. But that should not make us retreat. It shouldn't make us retreat into quietness or inoffensiveness. Retreating into inoffensiveness is not the answer. It's not revolutionary. It's reactionary. 
It doesn't make things better or nicer. It's a fine break if you need it, but it's temporary. It will be steamrolled by progress. It will be overtaken by people willing to be loud, emotive, raw, real, and truly vulnerable, not an echo of vulnerability, and doing it with finesse, thoughtfulness, and a willingness to find connection. Only opening it up, not shutting it down, will shape the future we're fighting for. I'll pause for applause there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my essay. Uh, and and here's the thing. I I again am not uh, I'm not an expert on anything. I know a lot about a lot of things, uh, and and uh, you know a little bit about a bunch of other things. But I never claim to be the last word. I am a source, and I'm someone who gives uh, hopefully an informed opinion. And makes you think. It makes you hopefully comment and talk back to me, whether you agree or not. And in this case, I think that's very, very true because we're talking about generalizations. We're talking about music that, music, period. I'll put a period there. That, And that means that anything you say about it is going to, is, is you know, that, that can make a grand statement and lump things together is going to be two things generalization and an opinion. So that, some of that opinion may be rooted in fact. Some of the generalization may be true. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there are counter arguments, as I mentioned, or other kinds, uh, you know, other nuances and things that are happening within the, this gross generalization that refute the opinion. You know, so I tried to give examples of all kinds of softer music, you know, whether it's chamber pop or dream pop or soft rock and yacht rock and and all the various forms of ambient music and chill wave and all of that stuff. I tried to do that in, in an effort to show that a, there is not one kind of soft music and, and B which ones of those are good are in the uh, ear of the beholder. Uh, I mean, you know, great example, a couple of great examples there's a lot of soft rock that I've actually enjoyed, you know, or mellow singer-songwriter stuff, or mellow music in general, a lot of downbeat things, and and just, uh, and yes, chamber pop, of course, and dream pop, uh, even instrumental, I, I delved more into Steve Reich's stuff, I think it was a year ago, maybe, and Brian Eno, of course, and so many others, and Sigaros, I mean, to me, they have a certain transcendence that goes above that unwillingness to be big and loud and emote. There's a lot of times they build to that, but there are things they have done, just like there are things Radiohead has done that are on the softer side and mellower side, but it doesn't define them as artists. There are so many artists who have done uh, soft things that they, that themselves are not soft. A great, you know, great examples. And I mean, I'm talking about people that this is not hard, you know, the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby, here, there, and everywhere, even yesterday. All those are, to me, chamber pop. But did the Beatles exclusively do that? No. Did the Kinks exclusively do things like Sunny Afternoon or the Beach Boys like Pet Sounds or, you know, Stone Temple Pilots like Sour Girl? You know, I don't know. No. You know, and I'm, boy, I'm just throwing out, I mean, you can probably name three others that I'm not even thinking of and a thousand others that are out there. 
but the, given the idea that any artist at any given time is capable, if they want to, of doing mellower things, you know, without it defining them. And what I'm finding, the reason I'm saying this is that, yes, there's a lot of uh, contemporary music that I like. There's a lot of songs from, again, an artist like Japanese Breakfast, who I think, and, and um, Mitski even, who their their music is compelling in many ways. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers and things like that. What I'm finding, though, and I think this is true, although I'll I'll say uh, Japanese Breakfast and Biabadui's latest efforts have a quite a, a good deal of diversity, uh, and the way they were produced is not quite as uh, homogenous as some of the other things. But what I'm finding in, in with a lot of these other artists, and I'm going to put Mitski in there, is that the entire album sounds the same, you know? And yes. Anything that's worthwhile bears repeated listening. And when you repeatedly listen to something, you're going to find nuances and things that you didn't hear the first time and, you know, belie the kind of sameness. And that goes for everything. You know, people who can't stand death metal because they think it's a wall of noise aren't, uh, you know, getting the rich complexities that are in there. And that's, that's no joke. I mean, I, I, there's been some bands like that that I've really gotten into or or screamo or the louder type things or even shoegaze which just seems like a wall of sound in a lot of ways you know my bloody valentine and all that you you more you listen to that the more you're going to hear those complexities and nuances but i think when the pop charts and so many people's albums are just completely dominated by these mellow sounds you know for me it's not my thing Right. I, I, I am not a fan of smooth jazz. Will I listen to it sometimes? Sure. Because, it, you know, for whatever reason, you know, shared experience, stuff like that. Uh, will I listen to, again, some of the pop music that's out now? Yes, absolutely. Which I think started to me, the, the current wave started, let's say, in, in 2013 or in that area, maybe before. But you had people like Gautier and, and Lord you know, doing that. And, you know, Regina Spector is a precursor of that, but I'm telling you, and I let's leave Gautier out of this because I don't know enough about him, but Lord Regina Spector, even Lana Del Rey, have, you know, more diversity in one song often and more emotiveness in one song than a lot of these newer artists have on an entire album. And that's opinionated. Yes, it is. And if you love it, I understand why. There is an intimacy there. There's an intimacy to Billie Eilish, whose name I left out for many reasons, but I'm mentioning now because, you know, she deserves a mention for so so many other reasons. But also because, again, I find Billie Eilish's lyrics to be compelling in the way that I found, a different way, but in a certain way, that I found Rina Sawayama's latest album's lyrics to be compelling. And in both cases, as accomplished as the production is, and as beautiful as it can be sometimes, really honestly beautiful, I don't feel like it supported the compelling nature of the lyrics. I felt like it dampened it, that there's this sense of, 
it's like uh, the mumblecore movement uh, in in movies or whatever it's called in hip hop. The mumblecore, you know, I get it. It's this kind of I'm going to understate because fuck you. I don't care if you hear it or not, or you listen or you understand. I'm going to be me in my bedroom, and that should be enough. And I respect that, but at the same time that's rarely how anyone lives an entire life. And my belief has always been, if not in one song, because that can be too much, but in one album and certainly in one career, that should be expressive of a life. You should feel, you know, almost every aspect of that creator's life in an album or in several albums in a career. And that may happen. They may happen with a lot of these artists. It's it's early days, and some of them may shift into things that we couldn't even have imagined. And I look forward to that. But at the moment, I find the overt mellowness to be too much, to be off-putting. And I do get why it's dominating the charts. Like I said before, I think we need palliatives at the moment. And... And because everything's so freaking scary and there's a lot of upheaval and all of that. But at the same time, I also believe that it's a break. It's temporary because we can't move forward and we can't have the changes that we want to have or even innovate and learn, you know, I mean, in society or even innovate and, and, and learn about new forms of music and ways, uh, modes of expression if we stay here, you know, and we won't. I know we won't. Things are cycles. Uh, it it really it calls to mind. I just recently uh, took my wife to the Basquiat exhibit, King Pleasure, which I think is closing fairly soon. And if you haven't seen it, go see it. It was amazing because it was so personal. Because Basquiat's art is amazing, but it also showed this kind of willingness to be ridiculous and offensive and meaningful all the way up and down. And beautiful too. And I I get that lots of pop music has often done its best to be inoffensive because it wants to appeal to as many people as possible. But that's toothless to me. And I feel like a lot of these artists are saying valuable things and they are not toothless. They, like lyrically and certainly personally, what they're doing is not at all toothless. In many ways, it's bold. But the sound is anti-bold and not in a clever way, to my mind. It's in a very samey way, you know. And that I so that's kind of my, yes, that's, you know, that's my tirade on that. I would love to hear your counter opinion, you know. Because, listen, there are people who only listen to mellow music, you know, or... There are people who listen to mellow music to calm down. And for me, often it's the opposite, that if the music is matching my mood, you know, then it often makes it worse. So, or, or, or I don't actually, I don't know exactly how to put this. If the music matches my mood, then it can have a counter effect. So for example, you know, when I'm feeling chill, calming music can be uplifting. When I'm feeling aggro, uh, hard, loud music can often calm me down. It's like taking, you know, it's like leeching out the feeling. Uh, You know I'll never be one of those people who only listens to one kind of music. 
for very long. And I honestly don't think you are either. I think if you really search your soul and your listening history, you'll find more diversity than you realize. And I am also not discounting the fact that there's a tremendous amount of upbeat pop music out there, uh, like Lizzo and Nicki Minaj and and um, some resurgence of, of rock and non-electronic music and all of that. It's out there and it's making an impact for sure, you know? I mean, those two people I mentioned, huge, you know, hugely famous, even Dua Lipa, you know, has mellow stuff, but isn't exclusively mellow, you know? And I know there are plenty of other people that I'm forgetting right now, but I really do think the dominant trend right now here at the end of 2022 and has been for a while is is mellowness to a fault. Uh, it, to me, is, is reminiscent, uh, you know, to the ASMR videos, which I have heard it here and there in pieces, bits and pieces, and was, uh, you know, compelled to watch uh, more than a minute of one recently. Uh, it was in an episode of something else. Uh, you may know what it is, you may not. And I got to be honest, I can't stand it. It is not soothing. It's annoying. It's like somebody taking the lightest possible fingernails and scraping them in the lightest possible way on a chalkboard. It just, I don't like it, you know. I know part of the idea is it's supposed to create like a spine tingling or goosebump sensation. It doesn't. For me, it just it just annoys me. It makes me angry, to be honest. And I feel like, in some ways, having the kind of hope and and wish that I have, you know, and desire to want to hear the best from everybody and respecting a lot of these artists and then hearing the same sound over and over again with the same, you know, keyboard patches, the synths from the 70s and 80s and, and all of that, that, that it, it's so disappointing that it makes me angry. And I know a lot of people will name check somebody like, you know, Jack Antonoff uh, for having done a lot of that. And again, I'm going to tell you, there are certain producers, I just don't like their work. And even though I understand that there's subtlety and nuance and beauty in what Jack Antonoff does, I find it to be deadening. I find it to be sonically and honestly, emotionally deadening. You know, but I've even thought that, you know, back when Danger Mouse and the Neptunes were kind of revolutionizing a certain type of production, that they got into ruts. But they're, you know, they've been around long enough and they're smart enough to know that you can't stay on one thing for that long. And so, you know, they they haven't and they've moved on in, in many ways and I have to respect that. And again, I assume that that's what's going to happen. I I think... Kind of, I'm going to kind of segue this into social right now by saying something that is a musical experience, but it's social, and that is uh, silent discos. I went to one before the pandemic, and I thought it was uh, novel and fun in some ways, and ultimately kind of hollow and disappointing. And here's my take on that. If you have a venue where you can't make a lot of noise, but you want a lot of people in there, Makes sense. You kind of have to do it. If you don't, if you have a regular venue, if anyone has ever been to, uh, let's say an inclusive, not exclusive, dance club, club of any kind playing music, where you have a shared experience, where you might not like every song you hear, you certainly won't like every person you meet, 
but you're sharing that experience with other people and that energy is infectious and it makes you feel like a part of something and a part of humanity. And it makes, I think it elevates everything that's happening. There are songs that I've gotten into uh, that I never would have if I hadn't heard them in that context. To do a silent disco, and and I'm talking about the one where you've got channels on it, where there's, let's say, four channels. You pick the one you like the best. You may not even be listening to the same thing the person next to you just takes away the shared experience in the same way that, you know, when you're driving a car and you have uh, a mix on or whatever it is, a playlist, a radio, you know, Sirius XM, I don't know. And uh, you have somebody in the back seat who's got their headphones on listening to something else. It takes away the shared experience of that road trip, you know. And so I don't think, I think silent discos are, they, they almost they almost presaged the pandemic in that it was saying like, well, we're already fucking separate. Let's just get as separate as possible, but let's do it together in an effort to show that we're making an effort to connect or whatever it is. We're going to be individualistic the way this country likes to be to such a fault that we lose vital connection with other people. You know, and it, it just it just sucks the, the life out of out of the event to me and the experience. And that is uh, kind of, to me, what's happening in the greater world. You know, one of the things I was saying, you want to be careful because there are a lot of people shouting about not being able to say what they want to, who are saying what they want to. Those people are annoying to me. And they're generally white people. They're often, frankly, comedians who don't know how to be funny other than in an offensive way. But they're also politicians and et cetera, et cetera, and other leaders who, again, are saying everything they want to and complaining that they can't, you know. So then that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the deliberate choice to be milk toast, the deliberate choice to not come out and say something because you're afraid that your opinion might, you might, someone might disagree with your opinion. I won't even say offend because there are certain ways that you can offend somebody that the offense there is that you just disagree. You know, like let's say if you're uh, pro, uh, uh, you know, uh, pro-choice, you're going to offend somebody who's pro-life, not because you're offending them as a, as a, as a person or, you know, calling a name of them or anything like that, but because you just disagree. That to me is a good kind of, offensiveness because it's two people being honest about their opinions and you're not going to get to the part where you're having a conversation if you can't start out by being honest if you start out from a place of compromise you are you are going to give up a lot of what you believe and i think that if i can one of the many faults of you know i'm a very progressive liberal one of the many faults of the democratic party today is that so many of the leaders believe that starting in the middle is going to get them what they want. And they've compromised so much that they end up in the center right, if not worse, on a lot of issues. Not everything. Again, there've been some successes, you know, but it's, it, to me, when we had things like defund the police, Black Lives Matter, whether you agreed or disagreed with them, whether you understood or didn't understand the nuances of them, it brought issues to the forefront that needed to be brought to the forefront, 
And this has happened so many other, you know, realms uh, with so many other issues. And I think two things happened. It generated some momentum for people who want to see better things in the world, more inclusiveness instead of division, more connection instead of division. But it also got a lot of people running scared. You know, the backlash. And I don't mean just the backlash from the people who just disagree, you know, from conservatives and all of that. Of course, there's going to be a backlash there. You expect that. A lot of times the last gasp of you know, uh, things like what's happening with abortion happen because there was such a push for, you know, uh, rights and inclusiveness and all that stuff prior to it. And eventually that last gasp will die and be crushed. It, 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 it has been countless times in history. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the people who actually believe in what they're saying and believe in these causes who then say, well, no, 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 no. Let's not talk. Let's not say anything that's going to you know, upset the other people when they're shouting those other people so loudly and often nonsensically that they're taking up all the air in the room. And yes, you know, you've seen it in TV shows where one actor or one character is trying to calm another down, another one screaming, 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 and the other one's just sitting there like, now let's be calm, let's be calm. That, that almost never works. Or if it works, it, you have to be extremely patient. When if you got into that person's face and said, hey, calm down. We're all okay here. Let's just talk. You will snap them out of that fever state, hopefully, or not. Or you'll cause a fight and whatever, but you forced the issue. And to me, there is room and for nuance and compromise, they're very, very important. I think ultimately that's how you do get results. But you can't start there. You gotta, you gotta be bold. You gotta be loud. When I listened, just getting back to music in a second, to, uh, I put together all these mixes, which I'm gifting to the world, that mixes that I created when I was a DJ for parties and stuff like that, that span 1987 to 2006 or seven, let's say. And when I listened through to that, it struck me how expressive these songs were, how willing they were to get dramatic and bold and big and out there or, or forceful or whatever version of expressiveness and out there-ness you, you, you want to put to that. And how much of that is just missing. Think of, I don't know, 90s hip-hop, especially, well, let's just say all of 90s hip-hop. And 80s, for sure. But let's say 90s, uh, because that's when it really had a peak. How brash it could be, whether it was brashness in uh, the service of aggressiveness and, you know, bespeaking violence and the things that go on in the world, or it was brash and loudness in terms of partying and all of that stuff. You don't, you hear almost none of that in hip hop today. You do hear some of it, you know. But even that that number 22 song on the chart today, it's a Nicki Minaj song. Yeah, it's not mellow, but there's a mellowness to her delivery. And I know that's kind of a style thing, and that's fine. And and I'll even, you know, there have been uh, hip-hop artists throughout history who have done that. Uh, I remember the first one I remember being aware of is Kwame. Look him up. In the late 80s. And being like, whoa, this dude is so mellow. But it was almost a revolutionary mellow because not a lot of that was being done in hip-hop. 
you know, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe in the O's and early 2010s, there was a lot of emo going on, you know, and punk pop and, and, uh, you know, power pop and all of that stuff. And, the and, you know, EDM and loud EDM and all that still exists, but, I think there was a kind of a counter reaction to that, that things just over the last 10 years have gotten so super mellow, you know, and again, like I said, cycles, right. But, uh, you know, funny story that I'll end before I, I talk about my song. And that is, yes, lo-fi is like kill wave is like mushroom jazz, right? Except is it? Because the term lo-fi used to mean kind of garage rock, kind of like deliberately, uh, you know, uh, low quality in a way or mid quality music that was recorded on the fly. I, I just uh, released two new YouTube videos on the rec channel of demos that I did on a four track cassette player, Tascam, right? That kind of thing, you know, or uh, the entire Elephant Six Collective and the way they do things, kind of loosey-goosey, right? That to me is how I always... Uh, defined lo-fi. So then I was signed by a record label wanting lo-fi music and then talked to the representative there and it turns out that they wanted what's lo-fi today, which is that kind of mellow electronic music just to make you feel good, you know, maybe to be on the back in the background when you're studying or whatever. And I gave him some tracks and that was fine. But ultimately the relationship didn't work out because that music doesn't interest me enough. And it was honestly a mistake, uh, you know, a miscommunication on our parts where I meant one kind of lo-fi, they meant another kind of lo-fi. I thought that was a funny thing, you know. And you have, just to dive into this, uh, you know, the history of that kind of lo-fi, which does cross over with the other version of lo-fi in some ways. Velvet Underground, Beach Boys in some ways, McCartney's solo work, especially in the beginning, uh, Todd Rundgren, Young Marble Giants, Guided by Voices, Pavement, Liz Fair, uh, like I said, Elephant Six, the detestable Ariel Pink, you know, uh, they they are people who have that kind of, you know, loose kind of, you know, jangly or let's throw things at the wall and see if they stick kind of approach to music which has roots in people like John Cage, you know, uh, indeterminate music, whatever you want to call it. And, and that does interest me. And, and again, that also crosses over into chamber pop and into some of the softer types of things, but it's not exclusively that way. And it is a very different kind of lo-fi. Which brings me to the final part of every podcast, almost every episode, and that is the featured song that I have for this one is one that... Uh, is currently getting a lot of play and and in various places and for some reason especially on TikTok and it's called Where You Go by again my band Rec featuring the beautiful vocals of Catherine Lynn and it's off of originally the album Symphony for the Weird and is also on Rec Collection the Best of Rec 2007 and 2020 uh and yeah is for some reason one of the more popular tracks they're remastered the ta- do the remaster version that's the link i'm putting here and that's the one i'm putting at the end of this podcast which is coming soon so stay tuned to listen to that and that is a song and one of many that i've done in my career where i went deliberately downbeat where i wanted it to be as ambient as possible 
And, you know, what I hope you're hearing is a vocal that goes from that place to other places. There are some soaring qualities to the bridge and to the end, the right before the end of the song, especially when those are both the times when Catherine's vocals come in and we harmonize together and just there's a way that it uplifts it in ways, again, a lot of current pop music just doesn't ever get to in a song. And so, you know, I I didn't blow it out. You know, it's not a power ballad. Uh, it, the idea is for it to be mellow and it's because it's expressing an emotion of longing and missing somebody who has left. And I'll kind of leave you with that thought and see what you think about how I have, uh, you know, recorded and produced and performed this song that I've written where you go. And thank you as always for watching and listening. My objectives here are music conversation and connection. I will talk to you next week. You. I know we hold each other in our hearts Don't think you know how much I think about you And how much it hurts to know when we're apart I'm sorry for the things I couldn't give you I'm sorry for the times I made you cry Don't know if I could ever make it up to you But every day of my life I will try And when you're on your own Building something With love and adventure all your own Remember one thing My life would be nothing without you Now that I will be
with love and adventure all your own. Don't forget this one thing. My life would be nothing without you. I will never be without you. Take me with you wherever you go. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 